Are you a caretaker or a rainmaker? On this episode, the distinction between them, and if you should, how to make the shift. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 390. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. When I think of leaders not being born, but being made, one of the distinctions that certainly comes up for me is moving from being a caretaker to being a rainmaker. And if you haven't thought about that distinction, I hope today's conversation will really challenge you to think about where you are today, where you want to go, and how you most importantly can take the first step to get there. I am thrilled to welcome today my guest, May Bush. May enjoyed a 24-year career at Morgan Stanley across investment banking, capital markets, and firm management. She was most recently Chief Operating Officer for Europe, where she was responsible for the development and implementation of the firm's business strategy in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. She's chaired the firm's European Diversity Council and was a member of Morgan Stanley's European Management Committee. May is also Senior Advisor and Executive-in-Residence in the Office of the President and Professor of Practice at the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State University. She lectures on leadership and works on interdisciplinary initiatives across the university with an emphasis on leadership, entrepreneurship, and enhancing the engagement between business and academia. She is the author of the book Accelerate, Nine Capabilities to Achieve Success at Any Career Stage, and she's also the host of the Career Mastery Kickstart Summit launching later this month. May, I'm so glad to welcome you to Coaching for Leaders. Thank you so much, Dave. I am looking forward to sharing everything I know to help everyone who's listening. Well, I am glad to get to continue our conversation. Uh, we've been talking over the last few months. And as I was reading through your book, the chapter that jumped out to me was the chapter on moving from being a caretaker to a rainmaker. And I love what you said at the very beginning of the chapter. I'll read the two sentences right at the beginning. You said, results are not the equivalent of handing in your assignment on time and in excellent shape. That's necessary, but insufficient these days. Tell me more about what you mean by that. What I mean by that is these days, the world needs us all to do more than just what we're told or just what we're asked. The world needs us to create what I think of as new business. And when I say new business, I I use the term business quite broadly. So your business could be a true commercial operation. You could be leading or working in a not-for-profit, in a university, in government, whatever it is, though, there is that thing that your organization does, and that's, quote, unquote, the business. And we need people who can help us create new business, you know, grow the size uh, and opportunity set for the organization. And that's going to take people that are able to produce results, as you, as you quoted, beyond just the assignment that you've been given, that in many ways is necessary. It's absolutely essential, 
but it only gets you so far. What we really need is people who can move themselves and their teams and the organization around them forward and create new value, different kinds of value, open up avenues for people and organizations. These two words that come out in the title, and I mentioned in the introduction, caretaker and rainmaker, I think are words most people have heard, but maybe not thought about in the context of business and leadership. What's the distinction between the two words? Yes. So a caretaker is someone who does what they're asked for or told to do to a very high standard. Caretakers can be excellent. And that's what I meant by handing in your assignment on time in an excellent shape. So now caretaker is is great. We need a lot of caretakers, people who take care in what they do and do it really well. However, for those of us who want to advance beyond the mid-level, this is where the second term, rainmaker, really comes into the frame. So a rainmaker is someone who makes great things happen for the organizations that can be seen, felt, or heard. It might mean that you come up with a idea or activity that renews the organization or expands the set of opportunities that the organization can go after or improves the future prospects of the organization. And in order to be a rainmaker, you need to be able to identify activities that can take the organization to that next level. So many of us are thinking about, well, how do I take myself to the next level in my own career? How can I move up? The answer to that is don't stop at doing everything you're asked to do to a high standard. That is essential, but don't stop there. Take that next step to figure out, okay, well, how can I also come up with some ways maybe innovative ways to identify things I could be doing that would take the entire organization or my piece of the organization or, or my team or unit to that next level. So bring the organization to the picture. It's not only about you and your assignment. I want to ask you more about some of the tactics for this, but even before we get into that, this is a term, Rainmaker, that oftentimes is used in business to signify the person or maybe persons at a firm that really brings in all the business or has the relationships with customers and is able to leverage new opportunities. And the thing that I really appreciate about your work is that you do bring those people in under this term Rainmaker, but I I really hear you saying Rainmaker is being a lot broader than that in that you can really be a Rainmaker from any seat in the organization. Tell me about that. Yes. And and I just want to reinforce the source of that word. You're absolutely right. Rainmaker does come from the professional services firms like investment banking, like law, where the rainmaker is the big producer, the one who generates the revenue that everybody else then goes in and executes on the business that they brought in. And that person you know, oftentimes feels like they've made it rain. They are feeding everybody else's activities. In this context, you're right. It's, it's broader than that because I think this concept is 
even more differentiating when, when we look at it beyond the professional services into all different fields of, of endeavor. And so when you think about being a rainmaker in an area where you're not directly able to bring in revenue or to generate profit, then what might that look like? Well, one way to think about it is how can you think about growing the size of the pie for your organization? So often we're fighting over turf or territory. That's thinking about our business or our work in a zero-sum, limited way. And so we're just trying to slice up the size of a a fixed-sized pie. And instead, if we can lift our heads and turn outward to look at, well, how can we actually increase the set of opportunities, the set of activities that can really make a difference? So I'll give you a few examples. One is if you're in a an area of a company, let's say that is not the frontline income generating part, but maybe it's part of the operational or, or corporate staff. I'll give you an example of a friend of mine who was in the legal department of a large corporation. And she was responsible for handling all of the litigation cases that would come in from the business units. So, or as a result of the business units doing what they were doing. So customers were suing. So in her role, she could easily have just been a processor of all the litigation that cases that came in. And she was excellent at doing that. And, and as we were defining caretaker versus rainmaker, those activities of her coming into the office every day, seeing what litigation cases were still on her plate, and then handling them in the best possible way, that makes her an excellent caretaker, which is super important. We all need those, right? Right. But then she has this growth mindset and said to herself, you know what? It's kind of, she, she got bored doing just that processing. And which, by the way, involved a lot of brain power, three years of law school, all of that. But still, she said to herself, gee, you know, let me look further back in the flow of the work and see why are we getting so many litigation cases uh, against us. So she started to talk to her counterparts in the business, some of the people in the sales area, in the marketing area, and learned about what was driving some of the clients to bring lawsuits. And she realized that there were certain warning signs that were common across all of these litigation cases, the ones that became lawsuits. And so that's when she started to collaborate with her other colleagues and her boss to say, well, how can we reduce the number of litigation possibilities? Because we don't want to have these expensive lawsuits all the time. And she developed this early warning system that was so successful that they ended up saving millions of dollars in her particular subsidiary. Wow. Yeah. So that made her a rainmaker. She identified an activity that could really save a lot of cost, reduce reputational risk, and make the business stronger. 
what changed for her in just her career and her political influence after that? What a great question, because that was a huge and unforeseen outcome for her. She didn't do it for that reason. But what happened was when you save your subsidiary, a subsidiary millions of dollars, the CEO tends to notice. And so she got his innovation award that year and then ended up being promoted to head up litigation when her boss moved up. She was also asked to share this early warning system across the other 11 subsidiaries of this very large company and teach, the CEO said, please teach all of our units how to implement this early warning system. And as a result, even greater savings across the organization. She also was written up in several of the law journals and her visibility across the board really rose. And so it was a real win-win situation, both for her own career and for her organization. I'm thinking back to situations and stories where I've heard similar things from clients over the years, and even in my own career, of whatever prompted it, whether it was intentional or boredom (laughs) or whatever it was. And actually, I want to talk to you more about boredom because that triggered it for me a bit at one point. But making the shift from caretaker to rainmaker, and again, it's not that caretaker is bad, it is, it is striking. It's certainly been striking in my career and striking in so many clients' examples of how different the conversation becomes and the political influence within the organization as you take on the mindset and start to behave and become a rainmaker, isn't it? Yes. And it's very much a mindset shift that you have to make. Because it really requires that we think outside of the daily work. I was about to call it the daily grind. I mean, (laughs) thinking about the boredom side of the equation, but when we become used to doing something, it becomes rote. And because we're so expert at it, maybe in the beginning, it was complex and challenging and interesting. I'm sure it was for for my friends, settling all these litigation cases, figuring out how to negotiate. But then at some point, if that no longer becomes a thing that really lights you up, that's a moment when you can step back and say, ah, is this the moment when I can make the shift from this caretaker mindset? to a rainmaker mindset and challenge myself to start looking for and thinking about and expressing curiosity about how other things work around what I'm doing, beyond what I'm doing, to understand where I can help improve the situation. Yeah, and that's a great lead into some of the strategies that you teach around how to get better at this. And one of them you've already mentioned a bit, which is identifying the most important outcome for the organization, first and foremost. Where is the best place to start when you're trying to think about outcomes for the organization? So for every organization, there are one, maybe two things that are more important than anything else. So the things that are drivers, the things that the top management and and senior managers 
really look at, care about. So you've got to get in touch with what that most important thing is, most important outcome for your organization. So if you're in sales, that could be a sales target. It could be a you know in, in revenue number. It could be client happiness and building client relationships. If you're in education, higher education, maybe it's turning out well-prepared graduates. And if you're in sales and trading, then it's almost certainly about the P&L, profit and loss. So you start by just doing a little thinking because there's logic to it. And then I always like to suggest to my clients that they observe, they watch what people are focused on. They listen to what words and terms are often used. I call them, you know, key words. So people are regularly using terms like, are you making money for the firm? Are you, are you, you know, so then it's on the trading floor. Are you making, did you make money today? In another organization, it might be, did you serve our constituents today? So you want to be listening as well for those those words, and then and then the third way to do it is just to ask. And the the beauty of asking is that it engages people in conversation, and having conversations with people in your network is one of the best ways to start to shift the way that you're thinking and to inform yourself with a much broader set of knowledge than you yourself can possibly come up with. Because it's when we interact with others that we learn the most. Yeah. And there's two things that are really coming up for me thinking about what you've just said of identifying the most important outcomes. One of them is, as you say, the outcome for the organization, not the outcome for your own career. <laughs> so right, you're... Right. Yes, that's a that's a benefit in the long run, but first and foremost of starting of what's important for the organization and as you say like a being observant of like what are people talking about what's going on. And I think the other thing that's important is not to have your people be so drowning in work that they don't have the time or mental bandwidth to step back and do some of this thinking. Because when you're in the thick of it and crunching the numbers or producing the, you know, making the widgets, it's very difficult to switch gears from the the short term into thinking broadly about, well, hold on, why are we doing what we're doing and how does it align with the most important outcomes for our organization? I'm so glad you mentioned that because that was one of the things I was thinking of earlier that I think people do probably push back on sometimes, if not explicitly, is they think, gosh, you know, I'm I'm working 50, 60 hours a week already, just trying to keep my head above water, being a good caretaker. How on earth can I now add on more to that thinking and that role and now taking initiative? When you hear that, and when you hear leaders kind of grappling with that with their teams, what do you suggest they say or do that starts to maybe change that mindset just a bit? From the team member's perspective, I think one of the things you can do is to start being more discerning about the tasks that you are given and figure out whether some of them might not need to be done at all. Some of them might not need to be done 
right now. Some of them might not need to be done by you, even if they need to be done right now. And so it's that old Eisenhower grid, right? Urgent, not urgent, important, not important. So it's doing a little triaging around that for yourself. And then negotiating for the resources so that you can start to delegate and negotiating about maybe the way in which you are able to do some of the tasks so that you can do them in a time and and place that makes more sense for you and, and negotiate for some flexibility to organize your day in that way. So it's a combination of of all those things to create more time and mind space for yourself. It gets back to what you said earlier, too, that if you're going to challenge someone to start to think more like a rainmaker, and if that's an opportunity for them, I think as leaders, we also need to be mindful of, do we have their schedule fully maxed out in the caretaker capacity? And how can we free up a little bit of bandwidth so they can actually do that, right? Yes, exactly. Which, which is an is a excellent point. And what I would add to that is, so if you're the team member, you need to let your manager know that this is what is happening and that, hey, if, if I did have this additional resource or uh, if you could free me up from some things, I can do some more thinking that will be able to make a really bigger difference to the outcomes for our group. And you as the leader or we as the leaders, then what we can do is be open to that kind of request and help people create that time and that space. Mm, Indeed. And one of the other uh, key strategies you teach is figuring out how you and your group can contribute I was thinking about what you said earlier about the trigger for your friend of a bit of boredom. And the reason that resonated with me is that was the same thing for me years ago in some work I was doing for Carnegie at the time of you know being bored with something. And that resulted in some new innovative things. And I'm wondering how that happens at this step of is, is boredom one of those things that might be the trigger for that? And what else should people be thinking about as far as how they can contribute? So first, boredom is a great contributor. And the key thing is to not, some people, when they get bored, they become troublemakers for themselves and for everyone around them. And it's sort of like, I think of when my kids were little and they were bored, then you know they would act out or run around and, and other people when they're bored. And this is where the rainmaker mindset comes in. When they're bored, they start exploring in a constructive way and they start looking for ways to be helpful. I think that this second step, this figuring out how you and your group can contribute is one where it's about understanding the levers that you and your group have at your disposal. So for example, if you're not in a revenue producing area, then making money directly is not one of the levers at your disposal. But maybe it's this saving money. Maybe it is about reducing risk. Maybe it is about expanding the reach of your company's brand. So figure out where you can move a lever and make a difference. 
because you can be a rainmaker from any seat, right? So uh, exactly, it, it's where what group you're in, what part of the business, and figuring out what are those metrics, what are the things that are going to really uh, advance the organization. So next step is create a safe space to test your ideas and to practice them. Yes. What does this look like? Okay, so we've identified what are the most important outcomes. We then figured out what levers are at our group's disposal, the the things that we can take action on. So this creating a safe space, this is where you want to use your network, both internally and externally, to brainstorm ideas. So you might have some ideas, just like my friend did. She said, huh, let me think about how I could reduce the number of litigation cases. And so she went and tested out ideas with her internal network. So you want to use them to have conversations, learn more and brainstorm ideas. And you can be having conversations like, oh, why, why does this happen? Oh, what if we did this? How would that affect what you're doing? And, and so forth. And then the next way, so creating this safe space to test your ideas, first, you're brainstorming. The second thing you can be doing is to test pilot your idea. For my friend, it was, huh, what if we were to look at a particular sub-segment of the business, you know, maybe one, one salesperson's clients, and she picked somebody that she knew really well and had been working with and said, let's just look at your clients. You know, what, what if we applied this concept to your clients? So they did a little experiment. They did a pilot, a test pilot. And so that's a safe space. She didn't go immediately to the CEO's office and say, I have a concept. I think we should scale across the entire company, all 12 divisions. So that's what I mean by finding a safe space. Well, and the interesting thing I've noticed too, when I've both done this well and not done this well in my own career, is when you have some test data, you get more political traction. Because either one of two things happen. You do your test and it goes well. And if it does, then additionally to the good idea, you have some data behind it that when you go to a more senior person in the organization, you say, look, we tried this and here's what happened with the small number of people in this test case. Um, because senior people and and owners of organizations love to see data. Um, Or the other thing that happens is you test it and it doesn't go well. And it was just a small number of people that, you know, it didn't work with. And you learn something from it, right? And you get the chance to tweak it and make it better before you, you know, then go to a more senior person and say, hey, let's do more with this. Exactly. And and the other thing, you're exactly right, Dave. And the other thing it does is... um, you've got other people who will also vouch for you and the idea. So those business people, in fact, you're probably best off going together because then it doesn't become one group's uh, thing that might, there's, there's all kinds of politics in the landscape in big organizations. So if it, if it is this collaboration, then you it's easier to get everybody else on board because you've already created the mini version of it. Fourth step after you've done that is to learn from your network what will move the needle the most. What's different about this than that testing and practice phase? Uh, you can use this in two ways. One is after you've had the idea, you then take it around with your data and 
that will help you figure out where you can apply this the best. The other way you can use this step of learning from your network is as you're formulating your idea and testing it with people so that they can feel like they were part of it. So you go in and, and you talk to people and here, this is where you can talk to some slightly more senior people and say, you know, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And I want to make sure that this is really going to align with what the organization most needs. And it's going to really solve a problem that needs to be solved. So your mentors are a great place to, to do this kind of learning about what's going to move the needle most, because this serves a second purpose, which is you're demonstrating to those more senior people, whether it's your mentors, your boss, maybe your sponsors, you're demonstrating that you're thinking in this way, because it's not like you're going to do a press release later on saying, hey, I've made the shift to Rainmaker. So it's one of the ways that you can start to subtly, by going to them and bouncing ideas around, subtly let people know that you're a person who is thinking ahead to the future and somebody they want to invest in. And and the one other thing I think about in terms of having this set of conversations with your network is that as you're doing it, you want to be listening and not coming from a position of defending your idea, especially if this is as you're forming your idea. And this is what will help make it better. So those last two steps, creating the safe space and learning from your network, they're not necessarily sequential. Mm, yeah. And it's, I'm here you saying too, it's moving from an I and me, maybe even if it started that way with testing the idea to now a we and us conversation of how are we working together to now advance this thing that will help to really make the organization better. Yes, yes. And I think that's such a great way to say it, moving from I and me to we. And a lot of people will say the worry that, oh, do I, what if somebody steals my idea? Well, frankly, there aren't a lot of new ideas under the sun. So when you're having your new idea, it's really about how you're applying the new idea. And my advice is always, you have the idea and then you run with it as fast as humanly possible. And you also, if you're going to tell anybody, then you tell a lot of people so that you have your fingerprints all over it. And when other people hear it from, you know, whoever, John or Jane down the road, they'll say, oh, well, actually that was Dave's idea. Dave was already talking about this. Mm You're lining up right with what has been my experience and observation as well, too, is it's not the person generally with the best ideas that ultimately gets traction. It's the person who's moved and shown movement on those ideas that ultimately gets traction. And you've you've certainly reinforced that with this model here. So, May, this is is fabulous. I think these four steps will be really helpful. I mean, if we're the person wanting to make that move, it'd be helpful to us. But I think perhaps even more importantly for our community of thinking, you know, if I'm wanting to really change the thinking of uh, some of the folks who in my organization that want to make this shift, that that's huge. And and we are actually 
in the process of doing some more on changing people's thinking here at the beginning of the year. I mentioned this a bit in the introduction. You are about to launch something that is uh, really intended to get people to change their mindset and to kickstart careers here at the beginning of the year. It's called the Career Mastery Kickstart. And I'm wondering if you could tell folks a bit about this and what's involved. Absolutely. So Career Mastery Kickstart is our online virtual summit, which is free to join and register for. And the goal is to help corporate professionals get their new year off to a great start from a career standpoint. We've had over 12,000 professionals benefit from this over the last several years. And we're featuring a awesome lineup of 50 world-class experts this year who are going to share immediately actionable career mastery tips and deeper dive interviews with me. And you're going to be learning from the experts who are really, really knowledgeable and willing to share. People like Marshall Goldsmith, Daniel Goleman, Whitney Johnson, Greg McCune. Well, I, I'm not going to go through all 50. And, and a very special person named Dave Stahoviak. Yes, thank you. I'm very honored to be part of it this year. Yeah. And your tip is absolutely awesome. And so as you'll know, and I want to share with everyone, the whole goal here is to help you take action to shift your mindset to improve to have a more successful year from a career and performance standpoint. So the event begins on January 22nd and runs through January 31st. So it, it runs for 10 days. And each day we reveal five experts, tips and interviews. And each, each day is available for free for 48 hours. And we also offer people an opportunity if they wish to go through it at their own leisure, to own and, and purchase the entire set. When you reached out to me about being a part of this this year, I was so honored and I was just so impressed at the lineup you've put together. There's so many people who've been guests on the show before who are part of the summit. Some of them you mentioned, folks like Michael Bungay-Stanier, Dory Clark, many of the thinkers we've had before. And I think they're going to really challenge all of us to think in some new ways here at the beginning of the year. So if you are interested in learning more and would like to jump in and participate, uh, and it's free, so what better what better price is there than that? Go over to coachingforleaders.com slash career mastery. We've set up a uh, affiliation with May to allow folks in our community to get access as well. So again, coachingforleaders.com slash career mastery and jump over there. We'll have that link in this week's weekly leadership guide as well. And that'll give you access to all of those expert interviews over the next couple of weeks here. And May, I'm really excited to learn from uh, everyone else who's a part of this. So thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, have our audience be a part of it as well. You are welcome. And it would be just so joyful to know that your audience has used some of these proven strategies to improve their performance and have even more amazing careers. May, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for your wisdom on this. And also, thank you so much for hosting the Career Mastery Kickstart Summit. I know a lot of our folks will jump in and check out your interviews, and I'm so excited to see what learning comes out of that for everyone.
Thank you so much, May. As we mentioned in our conversation, May is hosting the Career Mastery Kickstart Summit uh, coming up here in the next week. I was looking at the list of the experts that are appearing in the summit, and of the 50 people, 10 of them are past guests here on Coaching for Leaders. It's a great group of experts and something uh, that if today's conversation was helpful to you, I think you'll want to dive in on. And we've affiliated with May to be able to bring it to you for free. There is also a VIP pass for those of you who want to dive in on recordings afterwards, but the event itself is completely free. So you'll want to go here this week, though, to get access. It's at coachingforleaders.com slash careermastery because it kicks off in just another week. So again, that's coachingforleaders.com slash careermastery. And I'll have a link for those of you who receive the weekly leadership guide uh, this Wednesday in the message as well. Now, a number of related episodes to today's conversation with May. We talked about forming a guiding coalition at one point in this conversation. That is a lesson from John Cotter in his outstanding work on leading change. He was on episode 249, and we talked about how to succeed with leadership and management, also his change model and becoming more innovative, especially for those of you who work in organizations that are larger and maybe have been doing things one way for a while and now are looking to become more innovative again to be able to go into the next phase of the business. That is a fantastic conversation for you to be checking out. Again, that's episode 249. I also recommend episode 370, Three Steps to Great Career Conversations. We talked a bit about that in today's conversation. My guest was Russ Lairway on that episode. We talked about the three stages of career conversations to be having with employees and how you can frame that. Episode 370 will be helpful to you if uh, that piqued your interest. And also, I'd recommend episode 372, Leverage Your Defining Moments. Lynn Whiteford was my guest on that episode. We had a wonderful conversation about just how to leverage some of the key moments that come up in all of our careers. And uh, one of those key moments for you may be making that shift from caretaker to Rainmaker. Lots of inspiration in episode 372. Check that out. All of those are available on the coachingforleaders.com website. And if you haven't already, you'll want to activate your free membership by going over to coachingforleaders.com. It's going to give you access to the entire library of expert interviews since 2011, searchable by topic, plus all of the book notes, all of the member casts, my personal library, plus a ton more embedded in that free membership. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com to set up your access for free, and it will get you started on everything, including the weekly leadership guides on Wednesdays. Have a fabulous week and see you next Monday. Take care.